open our Bibles to Luke chapter 4, please. Luke chapter 4, the title for our study today is How to Fight Temptation Like Christ. I have so been looking forward to getting into this chapter together. Defeating temptation and doing righteousness out of love for God and others is the right here, right now ambition of the Christian life. It's how we live out our faith. It's how we live out our worship and love for God. We put off the old man and we put on the new and we do this until the day Christ returns or calls us home. This is our life mission on earth. And Luke chapter 4 in these first 15 verses are vital to this mission. As we begin our study, it's fundamentally important to identify the context of this temptation of Jesus that's recorded here in the chapter. What happened to Jesus just prior to this 40-day wilderness experience? Go ahead and say it. He was baptized, that's right. We studied that a couple weeks ago in chapter 3, where God the Father said to His Son, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 11, says, Immediately after the baptism, Jesus went into the wilderness. So that's our context. Now put your seatbelts on. I trust you've got paper and a pencil ready because we are going to rapidly move through 17 temptation facts and actions. 17 things this passage teaches us that we need to know and to do. Facts and steps of action. The context of chapter 3 going into chapter 4 gives us point number one. Major temptations often follow major spiritual experiences and victories. Ponder that. Jesus just experienced the most magnificent baptism the world would ever see, and he was immediately taken into a season of temptation. Maybe you can relate to this. Just when we think we're strong, just when we think all is well, Perhaps just when we relax, Satan attacks like no other. Think with me to the Old Testament. The entire nation of Israel, they've gone through their 40 years of wilderness temptation and struggle and suffering. What did that come on the heels of? Arguably the most incredible, miraculous, physical deliverance humanity has ever seen. God administered the ten plagues upon Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He destroyed Pharaoh's army, all in a matter of rescuing the people of Israel from their bondage in Egypt. And then they were tempted. Think about King David and his sin with Bathsheba. This came after a number of his greatest military victories. What about Solomon? His immorality came after God miraculously gifted him with divine wisdom. If we are going to fight temptation effectively, we need to be aware that the major temptations of life often follow major spiritual experiences and victories. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 warns us, 
Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So back to Luke 4, beginning in verse 1. It starts with a description of the Son of God, and it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. This gives us point number two on how to fight temptation, which is an, which is an action point. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Acts 4.31 says this of the saints at Pentecost. It says, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. You have many verses like Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit. When we say that someone is full of rage, we mean it's controlling them. When we say someone is full of joy, we mean that it defines their total demeanor and behavior. It overwhelms them. It completely manifests itself through them. Jesus was filled in the Spirit, with the Spirit. This includes the thoughts and the mind of God, the desires of God, the will of God. He was filled to the brim with the Spirit controlled and ruled by the Spirit. The Spirit was the authority in Jesus. Listen closely. This is why and how Jesus was ready for the temptation that came. This is powerful. Look at how the verse continues. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Point number three, if you and I want to fight temptation like Christ, then we must be led by the Spirit. Points two and three are really tied together. You, you cannot separate them. But it's good for us to recognize the importance of both and that the prior leads to the latter. If you want the Spirit's leading, you must have the Spirit's filling. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write that down. If you want the Spirit's leading, you must have the Spirit's filling. You see, in, in moments of great temptation, in times of trial, most any Christian will cry out for God to lead them. Lord, please guide me. Help me to know what to do. Help me not to give in to sin. But do we recognize that the answer to that prayer lies in being filled with the Spirit in the first place? My church family, it is mockery and misunderstanding of God to be living in worldliness, self-ambition, self-will, self-sufficiency, and then ask God to lead us out of temptation, to lead us through trials, etc. There is a tremendous practical spiritual truth at play here in the text. Be filled with the Spirit now. Be controlled by the Spirit now. Submit to His Word and authority, and you will be led by the Spirit later when you need Him most. Point number four from our text. Sometimes following the Spirit will take you straight into the wilderness. Is it just me, or do, do we all tend to expect the Spirit to lead us into a more comfortable, safe life? A life of less pain, less hardship, 
Let me ask, how'd that, how'd that work out for the Apostle Paul? Scripture says, it defines his life by many imprisonments, shipwrecked thrice, five times beaten with 39 lashes, beaten with rods, stoned. It says he was beaten times without number, often in danger of death. And Paul talked about his life, he, he described sleepless nights often without food. He said everywhere he went, there was danger. And he said on top of this, that every single day he bore the pressure of the ministry an intense concern for all the churches. Can you imagine this weight? You can read about this in 2 Corinthians 11. But what about 11 of the 12 apostles who were martyred? Friends, don't make, the, making, don't make the mistake of thinking that if you follow God, everyone will like you. All your bills will be paid on time. You'll have great health. You'll experience more of heaven on earth. Yes, there are blessings beyond compare for the child of God, especially spiritual blessings. But sometimes when we follow the Spirit's leading, He leads us straight into the wilderness, a very dry and desolate season of life. But remember, God never makes mistakes. He never wastes the circumstances of our life. Romans 8, 28, 29. He is working all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. What good did God accomplish in the wilderness for Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus, during these temptations that we're about to read about? I want you to think about this. Jesus proved he could defeat temptation and sin. Hebrews 2.18 says this about Jesus. Since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Those are verses we lean on when we are suffering. Just a couple chapters later in Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14 to 15, says this, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. This section of the Scripture is all about holding fast to the faith. Our confession of belief and repentance, of love in belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sins. This is all about holding fast to our confession. Verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore... Because of Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 15, the temptations of Christ, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's one of the many truths presented in this text. The sinless temptations of Jesus give you and me as children of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, as true disciples, the sinless temptations of Jesus give us access to the throne of grace. That's why Luke 4 is so important, one of the many reasons. Jesus proved his authority 
over temptation and sin, thus proving he is able to minister the same to you and me. How grateful are you for this? I mean, this is what gives us hope. This is what gives us endurance, etc. Now, of course, his authority was primarily demonstrated through salvation and the forgiveness of sin. But his authority over sin, his ability to defeat temptation, also is an authority matter in helping you and me overcome temptation. If Jesus messed up even one time in one small temptation in the wilderness, it is over. It is over for you and me. But praise God, the Holy Spirit proved His fullness in Jesus. And that, on the foundation of Jesus' baptism, launched the incredible ministry of Jesus Christ. Read verse 1 again with me so we can see the runway leading to our next point. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Point number five, temptation and walking with God often run on parallel tracks. If we think Jesus was out here alone in the wilderness so that he could knock out a 40-day diet to lose some weight, we better think again. If we think he was alone in the wilderness for this season so that he could just get away from all the people, that is also not correct. First off, he was out there because the Spirit led him there. We cannot miss that point. Secondly, it is very safe to assume that Jesus was in the wilderness to spend time with God alone. Fasting, as we're going to see Jesus did for these 40 days. Fasting is the act of denying ourselves the very necessities of life when the Spirit leads as a demonstration of our greater dependence on and desire for God Himself. Jesus was diligently passionately and sacrificially seeking the Father, and that is precisely when temptation showed up. God does not free us from temptation because we're seeking Him. It's foolish to think that we are somehow immune to temptation because we're pursuing holiness. Look at the magnitude of the temptations that Jesus Himself endured, which we're about to look at, particularly when he was full of the Spirit and being led by this Holy Spirit. Temptation and walking with God often run on parallel tracks. Expect it. Be ready for it. Be prepared. Church family, God is doing a unique and good work in us right now. Coming through the pandemic, coming out of the pandemic, he is doing something unique at this time in our church history. I believe he's doing something unique around the world right now. Expect temptation. This leads us to point six. God will never tempt you. It's Satan who tempts, just like the verse says. James 1.13, God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone while God does sovereignly allow us to be tempted, while He does allow Satan to tempt us, God never tries to get us to sin. 
On the contrary, God only helps us. He does not lead us into temptation. He delivers us from evil. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Those are the kind of verses we lean on in temptation and trial. Point number seven, temptation often comes when you're alone. The point is not that we should never be alone. I mean, even the Spirit led Jesus to be alone in the wilderness. But it is important for us to recognize that temptation often comes in that place. Think again to King David and his sin with Bathsheba. David was supposed to be out at war with all his mighty men. 2 Samuel 11 1 says this, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. That means all of the armies of Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. Temptation often comes when we are alone. Be alert. Back to Luke 4, verse 2 continues. It says, and he, Jesus, ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. Point number eight. Temptation often comes when you're quote-unquote hungry. When we are genuinely in need. At this point, Jesus had not eaten in well over a month. And Satan knew it, and he saw it as an opportunity. Sadly, desperate people often, often do desperate things that they soon regret and cannot reverse. Many of us could share a story too. Perhaps you're walking through a season of life right now where you are lonely, hurting, confused. Be wary. Satan wishes to sift you as wheat, like was said of Peter. He wants to shake you to the core. He wants to kick you while you're down and keep you down. We must be especially alert, be especially filled with the Spirit when we have times of genuine, severe need. Let's look now at the first temptation recorded here in verse 3. It says, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Point number uh, nine. This may be very well the most important point we cover today. If you walk away here from here remembering and applying only one thing, perhaps it should be this. Number nine, defeat temptation with Scripture. Circle that in your notes. Underline it. Highlight it. Draw little arrows to it. Defeat temptation with the Word of God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, the Son of God, used written Scripture to ward off Satan and temptation? He used His own Word. Now, of course, He's God. Jesus could have said anything, and it would have carried the weight of Scripture because He's the one speaking. But He chose to use the written Word, the recorded word, the word preserved and inspired for you and for me, he used that to defeat temptation. Now, let me be quick to say that this is not some just say it and claim it tactic. 
This isn't say the magic words and temptation will just run and flee automatically. No, we have to believe and live the scriptures we are quoting. We have to be filled with the Spirit. James 1, 15 to 17, listen close to this passage. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at it himself and had gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But he who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a, forget, a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. That means if you and I want the blessing of God, if we want the power, we not only have to look intently at the word, we not only have to speak that truth into the moment, that the, the truths from the, the perfect law of God, his law of liberty, but we also have to abide by them. This means do it and keep doing it. The word abide refers to dwelling. We have to live there in the place of obedience to the scriptures we are speaking. Then we get the blessing. Then we are able to defeat temptation with those scriptures. Jesus believed and lived every word he quoted to Satan. That's why it was effective. So when you and I are about to say something that we know is wrong, in a tone of voice we know is angry or impatient or demeaning, do we have a verse ready to quench that otherwise overwhelming and impulsive temptation? When we're tempted with pride or greed or anxiety, do we instantly know how to fight it with Scripture? Church family, if we don't have Scripture memorized and ready for the occasion, we are not fighting temptation like Christ. Am I making this up? Or are we on track with the Scriptures? Maybe we try to fight temptation with willpower. Boy, I know I shouldn't do this. I really got to re resist. Don't do it, Chris. I have a record of that never working very well. Maybe we try to fight temptation with secrecy. No one will ever know. We've addressed that many times from this pulpit. That is one of Satan's greatest lies. We will give account for every word, every thought, every deed. Maybe we try to fight temptation with ignorance. We assume that that would never happen to me. I would never do that. Again, what does 1 Corinthians 10, 12 say? Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. There are so many weak substitutes for fighting temptation. Maybe we try to use shame and guilt. Maybe we try to use a checklist. Not that checklists are bad, but is Scripture memorization and obedience at the top of that list? Is being filled with the Spirit daily at the top of that list is being led by the Spirit and, and a commitment to following His leading. Is that at the top of our list? If not, surely we are deceiving ourselves and suffering in sin unnecessarily. When Jesus used Scripture in all three of these temptations that we're going to see, He affirmed both the authority and the power of the written word of God. 
Two Sundays from now, I'm going to be out of state, and Rico is going to preach on those two things, the authority and power of Jesus Christ and his word. We're going to see that later in chapter 4 here. We would be missing, we, we would be blind to miss this spiritual battle-demanding, battle-winning truth. Memorize and live the scriptures so that you may use them to fight sin. I'll be the first to admit that I need to memorize the word of God more. And by the grace of God, I am committed to doing that. Let's consider very briefly this first temptation. Satan said, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Satan challenged Jesus to pride. And he did so by challenging Jesus' identity. Prove to me you're actually the son of God. And Satan cunningly used Jesus' genuine physical need, his hunger, as the bait. This is a double temptation. But Jesus, being full of the Spirit, saw the temptation for what it was, and he defeated it with Scripture. He said, man shall not live on bread alone. And the Gospel of, of Matthew records the rest of the text quoted from Deuteronomy, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God... You see, Jesus knew his spiritual and physical priorities. That's our next point, point number 10. Know your spiritual and physical priorities. Jesus essentially said, even after 40 days of no food, even as hungry as I am, I don't need bread as much as I need every word that comes out of the mouth of God. This is so curious. Satan was tempting Jesus to break his fast. And Jesus basically said, I will end my time with God when God tells me to, not you and not my stomach. That's being controlled by the Spirit. That is good prioritization of spiritual and physical need. Oh, how we could learn a thing or two as 21st century Christians in America the prioritization of the spirit over the flesh. Next temptation, verse 5. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Point number 11, temptation will always distort the truth. Yes, the kingdoms to some degree belonged to Satan. 1 John 5, 19 says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Satan is called multiple times in Scripture the ruler of this world. But the kingdoms have already been promised by God to Christ in time. Revelation chapter 11, don't, don't you appreciate knowing how the last chapter has been written? Revelation eleven fifteen to 17, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. It's, it goes on to say, and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped. Picture that. I mean, imagine the awestruck worship in this moment where these elders are sitting on their thrones before God on His throne, and they fall off their thrones on their faces in worship, 
saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. I'm not sure if it was on accident or on purpose that Satan left that portion of the scripture out. You know what I mean? When he offered Jesus the kingdoms and all their glory, he presented a distorted half-truth. Sin always does that. Point number 12, temptation often appeals to instant gratification. Satan basically told Jesus, you can have it all right now, but you'll have to do it my way. That is definitely a no-go. For the sake of time, I just leave this point as is there. Temptation often appeals to gratification, instant gratification. But what a terrible offer this is. Point number 13, temptation is a matter of worship. As we've heard it put uh, recently, will I choose God or self? Will I worship God or self? That's really what it boils down to. And this text actually pushes the envelope even more so. This is a matter of will I choose God or Satan? Will I worship God or Satan? If the thought of worshiping the devil doesn't help drive us from temptation, I don't know what will. Verse number nine. Here's Satan's third temptation. It says, And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Point number 14. Temptation will sometimes appear spiritual and beneficial, quote-unquote. Satan went so far here as to use Scripture in his temptation. How deceitful, how disgusting is that? That should make us mad when we read that. And here he misquoted and he misapplied Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, which refers to the protection of God for those who do trust him. But you see, Satan was tempting Jesus to test God. That was the foolishness. This is like Satan telling you or me, why don't you drive off the road? God promises it will protect you. See if he will. I mean, how, how ludicrous is that thought? That's not how we prove the faithfulness of God. We prove the faithfulness of God through our obedience to him. We prove his protection by doing his will no matter how we are attacked for it. We prove his guidance by looking to his word and obeying it when it doesn't make sense. We're going to look at that later in the, in the next few weeks as well. Two out of three temptations here started with Satan saying, if you are the son of God. The truth is Jesus had nothing to prove to Satan. Satan already knew he was the son of God. Jesus already knew the truth. And Jesus didn't fall for Satan's attempt to make this a spiritual matter. He instantly spotted Satan's mistake of testing God, testing God through foolish behavior. 
we must beware this temptation as well. Verse 13 says, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Point number 15, temptation never ends, at least not in this life. We have got to be biblically realistic. Until Christ calls us home, we are going to have to fight temptation daily. Point number 16, temptation is patient. It waits at length for the perfect opportunity to strike you and me. Maybe that's when we're alone. Maybe it's when we're weak, when we're tired. Maybe it's when we're strong. Satan is cunning, and we cannot let our spiritual guard down. Verse 14, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him was spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Our final point, number 17, victory over personal temptation often leads to more powerful public ministry. This is not a promise. It's not a spiritual law that we see in the text. This is, this is more just a general spiritual principle that we see clearly uh, lived out through the life of Jesus. Luke 16.10 says, He that is faithful in a very little thing is faith, faithful also in much. Chapter 19 gives us the parable of the talents. Those who, were stu- those who stewarded a little well were entrusted with much more. 1 Timothy 3 says that elders and deacons must be above reproach. They must be men who live out their lives with a clear conscience. They must be defeating temptation. To do less is hypocrisy, and sadly, it often discredits ministry. Victory over temptation empowers and validates ministry. Sadly, just this past week, another pastor of a solid Christian megachurch was removed from ministry because of what many would call a really small sin. There was, he did not break the law. There was nothing immoral. There was nothing sensual. He was just being, as they said, too familiar and coarse in his language with one of the women he was texting in the church. One Sunday, he is a mega church pastor, and the next, he is not. Oh, the pain that must be bringing to his wife this Sunday, and to his children, and to the thousands in his church family, to their ministry into the community. As you can imagine, news outlets have been jumping on this all over the country. Oh, the pain brought to the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, victory over temptation is absolutely necessary for the ministries that God has entrusted to you and to me. That may be parenting our little ones. It may be leading our wife or supporting our husband as he follows Christ. It may be the discipleship to a neighbor or a family member. All of these things, our public ministries demand daily and increasing victory over temptation. Jesus 
was full of the Spirit. Then he was led by the Spirit. Then he was empowered by the Spirit. You get one, you get them all. But we learn from the sequence that we see in the text here. This is how God works. This is how we fight temptation like Christ. As we wrap up, I want to stress how important it is to identify the real heart of temptation. Spot what, actually, what Satan is actually trying to do to you and through you. What he is trying to do to me and through me. He is not just trying to get us to speak unkindly. He is trying to tear other people down through us. He is not just tempting us to look at porn. He is trying to destroy our marriage covenant relationship. He is trying to get us to defile the temple of God, which is our body. He's not just trying to make you and me be lazy. He is trying to keep us from doing eternal, God-glorifying, people-saving work. Temptation is never about the sin itself. It is about destroying the person, destroying their relationship with God and others. It's about destroying holiness and worship of the one true God. I've got a challenge for you as we wrap up now. At some point this week, would you identify what you believe is your greatest single temptation, your greatest spiritual weakness, and then memorize three scriptures to combat it? Then identify two more of your other common greatest temptations and memorize at least one verse for each of those two. This is a total of five verses. Does this make sense? Five verses, three to fight your greatest temptation and two to fight two other temptations that we often face, at least for starters. Here's your moment of truth. If you are serious about fighting temptation and are willing to memorize five verses sometime in the next week or so, would you just say amen? amen. I say amen with you. Quote them, live them, and fight temptation like Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the guiding and empowering word of truth you have given us. Thank you for the Spirit of God who dwells in those who are His children, those who are His true disciples. Lord, you have given us the weapons of warfare we need here and all throughout your word. Would you cause us to be a people who passionately desire to be filled with the Spirit of God, not just a little bit of Christianity, not just on Sunday, but that we would be filled daily to the brim with the Spirit of God, the power of God, that we'd be a people who subject ourselves, surrender ourselves to the freeing, liberating law of God, your perfect law of liberty. Oh, what a privilege it is to be a servant of the Most High God. Strengthen us, inspire us, guide us, 
cause us to fight temptation like Christ so that we may minister the gospel like him as well. And all God's people said, amen.